Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, where we explore God at work in Canadian cities. Today, I'm privileged to have Charles Hermelink with me as my guest. Charles and I have had many great conversations actually all across the country. Uh, And today we have the advantage of recording a conversation finally. So welcome, Charles. It's good to have you on. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. So um, uh, for our listeners, Charles and I both work together with Mission Canada, a Christian mission agency to reach Canada with the gospel in unique ways. There are many contexts where there is a gap, campuses, people groups, regions, uh, communities where Jesus is inadequately represented, and Mission Canada is committed to identify and equip those who will pursue their calling to fill these gaps. Who knows, maybe there's even listeners to the podcast that uh, something's going to stick and they're going to be giving us a call, Charles, and saying, hey, I think I think maybe I need to have a conversation with you guys. At least that's Amen. our hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm the urban ministry consultant with Mission Canada, and Charles is the cultural ministries consultant. And as part, as part of that role, he gives leadership to Neighbors and Newcomers Network National. He'll tell us a bit about that. So, um, so for anybody that doesn't know uh, know you, Charles, uh, maybe we can go all the way back to Kansas City. I noticed on your Facebook profile, it says you're from Kansas City. So I, I don't know if you're one of the Kansas City prophets or not, but uh, good to have you on. And uh, let's let's uh, hear a little bit about your origins. Um, and uh, you've had a global journey through your life. So let's let's go back to your early years and start there. Tell us a little bit about that. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I have today I have a dual citizenship between uh, both US and Canada, just like our kids do. Um, and, but yeah, it started back uh, in in Kansas City and, uh, you know, I was born there, lived there three times, lived in Chicago three times, uh, Minneapolis twice, and uh, many other, a few other cities and states in between. Uh, so much so that one of the churches we attended actually called us the uh, semi-nomadic Hermeling clan. <laughs> so my father's career was in advertising, creative advertising, the visual commercial arts, and he did very well. And uh, every couple of years, an agency would see his work and hire him. And so with growing responsibility and uh, an accompanying salary, of course, we'd, we'd often move. So in the, in the U.S., they often will refer to kids whose parents grew up in the U.S. Uh, military service as army brats. I've always referred to myself as an ad brat, you know, moving every couple of years because of uh, advertising there. Yeah, so that's where it all started. And uh, so your journey to faith and, uh, you know, at some point you began to sense a call uh, to ministry work full time. Talk a bit about your uh, your your walk to Jesus. Well, we were back in Kansas City for the second time in my life, and uh, it was during that time I completed high school there. Uh, when I was in grade nine, our independent Pentecostal church actually started a private Christian school. And so for that one year, I went to that uh, that Christian school. We had weekly chapel services in a chapel service. 
I was filled with spirit and with a sense of calling to ministry. But I was uh, a good Jonah, if I could say that. I don't know if there's really such a, a good Jonah or a bad Jonah. That's another theological conversation. But I didn't run from God or the church or any of that, but I, I ran from that sort of undefined sense of a, of a call to ministry. So in high school, I started, uh, after high school, I started academically going down the road of pursuing a degree in international marketing. So here, this was my question for you, Kevin. Kevin, if you um, had to take international marketing and plunk it down in the kingdom of God, what would you call it? What would it be? I would probably call that global missions. That's right. It was global missions. So, you know, in the middle of my academic studies, God again picked up our family. We moved from uh, from from Chicagoland at this point, you know, to back to uh, Minneapolis, and uh, so second time in um, uh, second time in Chicago, and then off to Minneapolis we went. And there, I didn't even go to Bible college there either. You know, it was interesting to me when I reflect on it. In Chicago, there isn't uh, a, a Pentecostal or a POC, uh, sorry, Assemblies of God uh, Bible college or university or anything. So God picks our family up, moves us to Minneapolis. And uh, in, in almost the whole first year, I just was working in uh, telemarketing, actually, to businessmen and women back in the earliest days of mobile phones. Wow. Back when your mobile phone had to be installed in your car <laughs> because it had to be hooked up to your car battery. It was all this equipment. Those, and those big it was boxes. terribly expensive. Yeah. Oh, horrible. <laughs> so after almost a year of that and still sensing God's calling to ministry, one day I drove myself down to what was then North Central Bible College. Now it's North Central University in, in downtown Minneapolis to enroll. And uh, they asked me, they said, well, what major do you want to declare? And I said, honestly, Kevin, I had no clue. Uh, you know, I'm just, you know, blindly trying to follow this, this sense of calling. And so I said, well, what have you got? What majors do you offer? And they slid this little <laughs> sheet over, single sheet of paper, probably about four items on it. And it was just so glaringly obvious to me that it was mission. Yeah. So that's how it all started. And uh, I've met I met Connie, and uh, you guys have had uh, a good uh, run together. So how'd she come into your story? Yeah, we celebrate 34 years together this year uh, in just a couple of months, and we met at North Central. She was one of the Canadian students had come down because uh, North Central was offering four-year degrees because, and the context is at that time, the POC was only offering three-year degrees at their Bible colleges or institutions. And uh, she already had one college degree already in travel. So we're perhaps similar in that she's feeling a call to missions and goes and gets a degree in travel and I'm headed for international marketing, right? And then responds to a call of God. They went and went down. The other reason that Canadian students were coming to North Central is that Don Arkey was president at that time, attachment to the Arkey family, the Pentecostal assemblies, uh, links there for us in Canada. 
and they were offering Canadian dollars at par with American dollars. Ooh. So that, that was not a disadvantage, disadvantage, disincentive to Canadian students at all. And that is like it is now a huge dif- difference, you know, in, in, uh, in those international rates. And so she was one of those that, and uh, I was more than a year ahead of her in the mission program. And it was actually a mutual friend, uh, another student in the mission program that introduced the, the two of us. And so, yeah, that's where, that's where that all started. So if, uh, if you hadn't have uh, married Connie, do you think you would have even ended up in Canada? Like was, was, was it family that uh, initially drew you up this way? Yeah, it, it really was. I, I probably never would have ended up in, in Canada. And so you just trust that this is part of God's will and God's path and God's agenda for mm-hmm. for us and, you know, what he wants in his kingdom. So uh, let's, uh, let's do the, the uh, short bio version of uh, where you and Connie uh, went in ministry and places you lived up until, uh, up until where you are now. So we went through, I was actually in a, a sub-program stream, special stream of the missions program at North Central. And uh, it was about sending workers fresh out of training with the latest in missionary strategy, and but also at reduced budgets, right? To make it easier to get first-time workers off the field. Basically, those who had set this up, Jerry Fowley and others who had set this up, were saying, look, we lose too many Bible college grads from our mission programs in that stage where, okay, you graduate, you got to go to a church, you have to be in ministry for a couple of years, get fully ordained, now you apply and then you go. And what happens is life happens to people, right? They get married, they get a mortgage and all of this, and they don't end up going to the field. So there's a huge attrition rate. So this program was about getting people directly from Bible college onto the field. And it was actually wildly successful. And uh, uh, unfortunately, it was so successful, it killed itself. <laughs> Missionaries on the field were, uh, were a, a tad intimidated by the results and, uh, and people were questioning that. So right when we were graduating, the program ended and, and we weren't able to go to the field through that. Then we were applying and uh, we were going, we were going to go through another program, the uh, Assemblies of God Missionary Training, and uh, uh, we were we were approved to go to Jordan. And then the first Gulf War broke out. <laughs> so before we were released, you know, they, they said, hold on, and everything kind of came to a screeching halt. And so we didn't end up going, we did end up going through that traditional route, okay, get a job at a church, get fully ordained, you know, all that. And we, we did that. We didn't have the mortgage, but we had kids. And uh, so it was at that point that Connie had said she'd been living outside of Canada for, for almost 10 years. We had two boys, now four, about four and six. They have dual citizenship. And her words to me roughly were, before we move overseas and never come back, <laughs> can we live <laughs> in Canada for just a bit? So the context for that is the year prior, we had sent out over a hundred letters and resumes 
outreach to the states and districts across the United States where we had family and friends, California, Arizona, Texas, uh, Michigan, and New York. And we received no responses. We got nothing. Yikes. Right? You know, it's one of those kind of things you go, God, I thought you told me to do this and you get nothing. Well, we still believe he told us to do that. And it was all to set us up for what was coming next. So when she asked me that question, we were standing on the driveway and, and I, I gave what I thought was a safe answer. And uh, uh, it was a snap decision, which as you and I have learned in life, often proved very dangerous. <laughs> and I <laughs> said to her, I will look in my area of ministry, which is not music and not youth, which is really adult ministries then, probably a larger church. I'm thinking I'm narrowing this field down, right? Okay, geographically, only in the Golden Horseshoe, just from Toronto to Niagara, where she's from, only for six months. I put all these limitations in there, <laughs> thinking I'm safe, right? And, uh, well, my resume went to the Western Ontario District, had an interview with David Shepard. David Shepard gave my resume to some place called KRT I'd never heard of, some place called Brampton I'd never heard of. And uh, Peter McIntosh was newly installed as a senior pastor and in woeful need of staff and hired me as an assistant and we moved to Canada all in less than four months. So that whole previous experience of sending a hundred letters was context for, gee, I think God wants you here. <laughs> It would sound like it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we were we were at KRT that... for ten years. Sorry, we were at KRT for ten years. Then uh, we went. Uh, we left KRT. We were actually with International Missions now, Missions Global, and a new initiative called CMO, the Center for Muslim Outreach, which was about mobilizing workers to close Muslim majority nations. The CMO later grew into the entire Rand division. We also mobilized by the Lord to Southeast Asia. And yes. we were doing the same thing. We were mobilizing workers into the Southeast Asia mission. So field. just uh, to give uh, some context for uh, anybody that's listening and not familiar, um, uh, Mission Global and Mission Canada and RAN, RAN, uh, which stands for Restricted Access Nations, uh, those those are three uh, branches of of mission uh, within the context of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and uh, you know when when you had the uh, hundred uh, resume flop, and uh, and then the next thing was talking to David Shepherd. I'm not surprised <laughs> that God was in it. <laughs> Dave Shepherd, uh, uh, how 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 has Dave Shepherd impacted your life? You know, it was it was great. You know, obviously, I had no idea who David Shepard was, and uh, you know, just it, it was a thing of I sent my resume to the district, but then have that prompting from the Holy Spirit. You need to go, you know, have an interview. So mm -hmm. I called up, scheduled an interview, drove up, uh, had an interview with him, or you know, organized it. I think it was early, like on a Monday morning. And uh, so I stayed with Connie's parents in here in Niagara, drove over to the district office in Burlington, had my meeting with him. And it's in that very personal face-to-face -face that he says, you know what, there is a church near here. 
that is looking for someone, you know, and so that's just how the spirit works, right? He, he gives promptings in our lives and he also works through relationships, right? Face-to-face -face right. meetings and encountering people and talking and exploring together what is the will of God. Yeah. So David, yeah. David was great. And then, he, then he was my, my district superintendent and, uh, and I've always, always enjoyed a good relationship. And of course, he's married to a Connie too. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a sign. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then, and then, uh, was it after that that you were off? You you were with uh, the Muslim organization, and then and then did that also? Uh, was that before Thailand? So yeah, when we we were about two and a half years with uh, CMO Center for Muslim Outreach, working uh, mobilizing workers in Canada to go to Muslim countries, then our kids basically came to the point of saying, yeah, we want to go to the mission field as well, which again was unusual because of their uh, mid to late teen ages. Uh, a lot of agencies will not send people when their kids are that age, but our kids actually popped up and said, no, 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 we want to go. And uh, so we all went and uh, we were based uh, initially in Thailand, just as the because that's where the region is based out of uh, regional office works out of Thailand. My work was in all the countries of of Southeast Asia region, and uh, you know working with not only placing new workers in those countries, but also then uh, working with the national church, working with the national church to begin to reach their Muslim neighbors. Uh, then uh, you come back uh, to Canada again, and I believe after Thailand, we did. We were we were getting we were in the middle of coming down to the end. We were we were not even forty five days from the end of our term. Uh, I was finishing some academic studies, which was preparatory for uh, things in Indonesia. We were wrapping up our household, everything. We had uh, a place located in uh, Indonesia. We had language schools set up. I had a job set up because really you need a, a, a work visa to really kind of live and be there. All of that. And then we got a call that uh, there was a, a, an extended family uh, critical illness. And mm. so Connie actually left in less than 24 hours from my home to help the family with this. And uh, my younger son, Carl, was still with us. We stayed for the next uh, 45 days, finished wrapping everything up, put everything in storage and came back to Canada. And because of the context of that family situation, we knew we're not going back to the field right now. And that's when I started working with Mission Canada. It's interesting in hearing the uh, the, the trajectory of places and decisions that you had to make. And um, more than once, um, I heard you describing situations where it came unexpectedly, uh, where uh, you didn't even really have a, a direction and then you did. Uh, all, all the way that the, the Holy Spirit often leads and, and um, you know, when we think about uh, the role that you have now in working uh, with cultural language uh, groups in Canada, 
um, there's a, there's often this um, this uh, unexpected movement of people, and uh, that's that's what our the story of newcomers and, and immigration or refugee claimants is about is is these diasporas these these massive movements of of people from one part of the world to a completely different context. Uh, mm-hmm. what, how, talk a little bit about that, that diaspora and, and how, how is God at work in our world today? Yeah. You know, you started there with the unexpected that happens in our lives and, uh, you know, maybe reflect again, the idea of sometimes you draw it out. You know, we, we think, you know, well, the shortest distance between any two points is a single straight line, right? And mm-hmm. so this is the trajectory I'm going to map. We, we want a, a nice line, a smooth curve, you know, that sort of thing. And yet reality is our map is scrawling all over. Our journey is scrawling all over the place, this complicated line. God is the one who sees and knows the, the whole journey. We don't, right? Yet... God takes us through all of those things, what we term good and bad, to prepare us for all the things he has yet for us on that path, on that wandering journey there, right? And so coming back and then working with uh, Mission Canada, essentially then starting with Mission Canada, this emphasis, like like uh, CMO did, Center for Muslim Outreach did, that was about mobilizing Canadian workers to go to Muslim fields. But the reality is Muslims are also coming to Canada, right? And so there's directly that context of, okay, we need to begin to equip the church to reach Muslims, and we need to begin to mobilize workers to, uh, to Canada as well. because. Diaspora simply means, you know, you're, we're, we're talking about peoples from somewhere else, you know, and uh, that, that's, that's just a, a really, I often say, from the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve were shoved out of the garden, man has been moving across the face of the earth. One of my favorite uh, missions verses is often not recognized as a mission verse. It's actually... I think it's Acts 17, 26 and 27. We, we love this passage because Paul at the Areopagus and, uh, uh, and, and uh, preaching you know, to them and saying, I come to declare to you, you know, the, the unknown God. In the middle of that, what he says there, he actually gives us a window into the kingdom that is very unique because it, it says that since the beginning of time, man has been moving across the face of the so that there is a purpose in this movement of peoples across the earth so that they will perhaps seek him so so that they will seek him and perhaps find him even though he is not far from any one of us and we we begin to reflect on that we begin to realize god is behind immigration god is in charge of history God is in charge of the movement of peoples. People are continuing to move across the face of the earth. And he has a purpose. God is bringing immigrants to Canada to hear the gospel. Because Uh, uh, immigrants, 
at that stage, when you're an immigrant, like I have had official residence in three countries of the world. I know what it's like to move, move long-term, move with a sense of permanence. Everything in your life is upset. All your systems, there's nothing that is not upset. You've, you are actually the most open to the gospel at that point. That's why God uses immigration to make people become open to the gospel. That's what it's about. It's about sharing the gospel. Yeah, and oft, often it's uh, human human cause calamity that uh, causes those movements too. And God sees the oppression. God sees the uh, the wars. He sees the the famines and the lack of food distribution. He can use all kinds of things that we problems that we humans cause. And That's right. uh, yeah, so he when I cause them, but he hmm. uses them, right? Right. Right. Let let no good pandemic or disaster go to waste. God has a purpose for it in the kingdom. <laughs> Amen. Redemptive. <laughs> I believe that. I really do. So so when uh, if if I were a business person uh, moving to uh, a foreign country, uh, let's say I was moving to uh, I was going to work in China. I know people that have, and uh, mm -hmm. chances are if I was going to be there for a couple years or more. Uh, doing business, I would uh, be looking for an international church. I would be looking for a group of other Christians that speak English so that uh, I can um, have that sense of home and mm -hmm. worship in my own language. And when uh, somebody from uh, another uh, language speaking country comes to Canada, and they're a Christian, it's often the same thing, right? They'll they'll come and seek out a a church in their language group. Um, or they'll they'll come and if they're a pastor, they'll plant a church in their language group. Um, and and that that model of uh language group church um certainly meets uh, an immediate need. Uh, but what happens to those churches over time, Charles? Mm -hmm. It's it's an interesting journey for people. I've talked to uh, people from all kinds of cultural backgrounds and, and, uh, and at all different stages in the process. We often refer to them as 1 1.0, 1.5, 2.0, 3.0, right? Uh, 1.0 are, are, are adults who come. They're the immigrants, right? Like I'm an immigrant, okay? A lot of people... We, we look at people and we make all, all kinds of gross and, uh, and uh, erroneous <laughs> assumptions about people. So people look at me and they don't think I'm an immigrant. Well, I'm an, I'm an immigrant. And, uh, you know, there are distinct cultural differences between the United States and Canada, right? And all the Canadians say, yeah, there are. <laughs> and uh, so I, I actually use that with that, in, in my, even in my own background, to bring, make people aware of some of those presumptions and then try and overcome them in that. Um, so you'd be the one, you're the 1.0. I'm, I'm a 1.0. My kids yeah. are really 1.5s because yeah. a 1.5 is somebody who came with their adult parent or grandparent or guardian, but they themselves were typically, you know, preteen when they came. So they have some knowledge and some background from their original home culture, but they've landed early in their life in the Canadian culture, right? 
2.0s are those who are born here. 3.0 obviously is the next generation after that. And so there are trends that that these that cultural language churches go through. So like you said, Kevin, you know, if I went as a visitor to China, I would look for an English language church, uh, especially until perhaps I spoke Chinese well enough to go to a Chinese church, right? So we went to a bilingual church, uh, two different bilingual churches in Bangkok. I had an English language church in Indonesia, that in Jakarta that I went to, right? Uh, while we were there. So it's natural for somebody to come to Canada and they're gonna look for a cultural language church. So they, they provide a very, very important role in people's lives, Christian and those who are not yet Christian, because those not yet Christian but are immigrants are looking for other people that share their background, share their language, share their food, you know, all of those kinds of, you want something that's familiar to you in the midst of, you know, this new culture that you've landed in. However, 1.5s and 2.0s very quickly started to undergo a change right? They've grown up in this cultural context of Canada. While they may speak their mother tongue, their parents' mother tongue, and they understand that culture, it's natural for them. They also grew up in this culture, French or English or uh, maybe even Aboriginal, depending on where they settled, you know, and they have acculturated to that. Now they want that. We walked through this and, and watched it walk through this in Connie's home church here in St. Catharines. She grew mm -hmm. up in what was a German branch PAOC church, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada Church here in St. Catharines. So it went from German language Pentecostal worship services to German with English translation, then English with German translation, until today, it no longer has German translation. I think they still have once a week a German language Bible study for those who are want to still function, uh, you know, in that still facilitate. But they're fully you go to that church now. You wouldn't know that. You would you would just realize this is this is a English language what church. Would you, so what would what would you say in a cultural language church in another culture? Uh, the um, the effectiveness of evangelism to their own language group. When, how long does it take before uh, a German Pentecostal church no longer has a focus on reaching Germans? You know, this is a great missiological question. And, and it's something I dealt with actually, you know, when I was in Thailand or in Indonesia or other countries that I worked uh, with because they would talk about, oh, we, we've sent a missionary and a mission team to, let's say, Berlin. And it's like, oh, okay, that's great. Who are you reaching? Well, we're reaching Indonesian speakers, you know, in, in Berlin, Thai speakers in, you know, in Toronto or something like this, right? And I say, okay, it's not actually missions. That's just evangelism. You just happen to be doing evangelism in, in a different country, in a different majority language group, right? Missions is cross-cultural evangelism. It's when you have to do evangelism, but now I have to include language, significant cultural difference, significant religious difference, you know, practice social practices. It's all so different that I have to 
think about how do I communicate the gospel in such a way that it makes sense in them? As, you know, are they understanding what I'm saying? Right. Right. And uh, so put that in the context in which we're in now. Uh, let's say Nigerians come here. Okay. Let's be more specific. Let's say somebody who speaks Igbo comes here from Nigeria. Okay. And uh, they want to, you know, they're, so they're running Pentecostal services in Igbo, right? And so great. And they, they're, they're going to have a, a natural evangelistic uh, connection because of language and culture, because of that, that language and that, that same similar background. All those cultural language churches, however, will eventually have to begin reaching beyond Igbo speakers in Toronto because there are only so many Igbo speakers, right? right? And not only that, it's not just that, but it's also God and the gospel itself is calling us to more than just reaching our own language. You're called to reach all people who are around you, right? right so right. it doesn't matter whether we're in English language or French language or an Aboriginal language majority church, we still or, you know, some other international language church, we still have to reach cross-culturally, cross-linguistically to people who are around us. That's, that's really embedded into Acts 1-8, the Great Commission, isn't it? That you start, Jesus said to the disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was hometown. That was their language. That was their mm -hmm. people. You'll, that's where you start. Right. Jerusalem. Culturally similar. Judea, mm -hmm. Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And, and uh, so as you go further away from Jerusalem to Judea, that's your region, but the people are still very much like you in your region. Mm -hmm. Shared culture often. Um, but then what about Samaria and uttermost parts of the earth? Now, we always thought that missions was <clears throat> getting on a plane and and crossing the ocean to another place. But uh, in in our context of Mission Canada, we're recognizing, wait a second, all the nations of the world come to Canada. So maybe talk a little bit about um, our context and and uh, what how, as a, a world traveler, Charles, uh, how unique is Canada? in the nations of the world when it comes to um, uh, immigration, when it comes to uh, coexistent cultures? We really are. You know, in the beginning, Kevin, you said uh, Mission Canada is about the gaps, the places, you know, and I asked people this, you know, what's a gap? Well, a gap is what you want, right? It's, uh, you know, and we, we need to be in these, fill these gaps. So that's why Mission Canada is organized around these five priorities. You lead one, urban, and I lead one, which is cultural language groups. And uh, that's the very cross-cultural, which is naturally, you know, Kevin and I, you and I have this great crossover between our priorities because our cities are the ones, our urban environments are the ones that are extremely, extremely multicultural, right? Used to be said 100 to 200 years ago in missions, you're a missionary wouldn't cross water. Well, that was because there was before planes. <laughs> you yeah. had to be a missionary. You had to get on a boat, go somewhere. You had to cross water, right? 
Well, today, it's entirely different. Not that you have to get on an airplane. It's that they got on boats and airplanes that came here, right? They came across the border, you know, uh, or maybe a boat or an airplane to the United States, and then they crossed the border into Canada, you know, like I did, drive across, uh, you know, and, and that. And so the mission field has landed here. And this is the gap, coming back to the idea of gaps, that, uh, you know, from Acts 1-8 that you're talking about there, Jesus has identified. We get Jerusalem because it is the city where we live. It is the people who are like us. They are physically close to us. So they're culturally close to us. They're physically close to us. We often think of missions as the uttermost parts of the earth, the end of the, uh, of the phrase, right? But what about the gap in the middle? Like you said, Judea and Samaria, it's a combination there. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Judea, like you said, here we are in Ontario. We would say, well, other Ontarians, right? People who are there perhaps like us, but they're not quite as close, but they're in our state, they're in our province, they're, they're in our area. But it's, it's them and Samaritans. Well, who are Samaritans? Well, they're also somewhat close, but they're very culturally dis different. That's the uttermost parts who come to live among us, right? And uh, so, you know, what, how we are as our multiculturalism, I, you, you asked the question, maybe it was in text rather than, uh, than, than, I don't know if you said it or not, how much do we differ from our neighbors to the south, right? It's often quoted that Toronto is the most multicultural city in, in, in the world, and it might be true, probably is. You know, a lot of cities are like that today. We're extremely yeah. diverse, you know, um, and that uh, more and more so. It's more apparent here in Canada than in America because they have 10 times the population, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the number of people coming in doesn't have the same level uh, of marked visible uh, change. But there's some other things that are going on too. Spanish is the dominant second language of the United States. In fact, it's predicted in the next 27 years, it could be that by 2050, Spanish will surpass English as the number one spoken language in the United States. Hmm. Now, you know, there's other factors that might dent that, might be further off, I don't know. However, the point is this, 75% people of, uh, of people in Canada speak English at home. 21.5% speak French at home. 18% are bilingual between the two, French and English. But 25% of Canadian households are speaking other languages, 12.5% of those, all the time, always speaking another language. Well, what are those? Actually, the two top, big, big, two top languages uh, of all of those in Canada are Mandarin, Chinese, and Punjabi from India, right? And each of those is more than half a million, right? Now, then, if we're talking about indigenous uh, populations here, Cree and, uh, I'm probably not gonna pronounce this right, Inuktitut, okay, are the primary languages that are spoken there. So. All of this goes up to say that the complexion and the complexity 
of Canadian multiculturalism is very different than that of the United States. So sometimes that's why we look at resources or speakers or books or materials and stuff coming out of the States about multiculturalism doesn't always translate as well to the Canadian context because our, our context is quite different. So uh, talk to me a bit about uh, what Mission Canada is doing. Tell me about some of our workers that are um, doing um, mission, they're on mission to uh, people of other language groups in Canada. That's great. Thank you, Kevin. Um, you know, at the beginning, you mentioned uh, an identity that we have within Mission Canada called NNN or Neighbors and Newcomers Network. It's really our 3L, three-letter uh, RAN, R-A-N, Restricted Access Nation style designation for those who are working in uh, communities with significant Muslim populations, typically. And that worker needs their uh, identity and, and, and reputation online, mostly, mostly about media and online to be more secure. So we have several of those operating uh, in cities across the country, but we don't talk about them in a, in a context like this. We do have others like uh, J.P. Gopalan, who is originally from India, actually originally from a Hindu background, you know, convert to Christ. And he was a successful church planter, cross-cultural worker in India. Then God leaves him to, to uh, Canada and ends up, he works in uh, Toronto and Scarborough area. He is a spirit-filled, spirit-led, cross-cultural evangelist. I often call him the equal opportunity evangelist. It doesn't matter what your background <laughs> is. JP will yeah, send JP. With you. And yep. he comes with great stories all the time of people getting saved and getting filled with the spirit, getting delivered, getting healed, like just, just fantastic stuff. Joseph Bagaza is another one of those. Joseph joined us this year. Uh, he's originally from Central Africa, works in Winnipeg, and he's on the streets, and he's in the airport, and he is connecting and meeting with other newcomers as they arrive and land and sharing the gospel with them. He is connecting them with our POC churches in the city of Winnipeg. He is serving their needs and, and, and just seeing people come to faith all the time. They're, the, both of them are just full of exciting stories all the time. I love talking to them because of that. There's... There's uh, security concerns for Christians in other nations uh, if if they're in a uh, nation that is hostile to uh, Christianity. That's mm -hmm. our uh, RAN, our RAN uh, mission agency that uh, works in confidentiality to uh, help uh, put people in in difficult environments. Uh, but you mentioned with the uh, with the neighbor and newcomer network that it, there's a parallel there. So is it risky uh, for workers in Canada uh, to to reach Muslims? What kind of I risks? I appreciate that you've asked this question, Kevin. Uh, a number of years ago, when there was you know attacks in Western countries were more frequent and things like that. There was a great level of concern. So I did study, I surveyed other mission agencies across Canada and a few in the US as well that have connections with and asked them, 
you know, for your for your office and for your workers in Canada. So these are denominational and other and then other mission agencies. No mission agency or no worker in North America has ever faced those kinds of personal or direct attacks, right? It's significant mm -hmm. to, to mention that. Now, that's not to say that it'll never happen. However, what it does address is the illusory fear. It's an illusion. Fear is often an illusion mm -hmm. that, well, you know, we can't say it, we can't do it, you know. No, that's not actually true. Right. Uh, you know, I, I have been uh, in hostile areas of the world, you know, uh, in, in Muslim areas. I have slept in Muslims homes. I have eaten with them in their homes, on their patios, in their restaurants, uh, you know, and never felt threatened by them at all. And in fact, great hospitality. I have a great story. One time, actually, they were protecting me from the national police uh, in the country, right? And it was safer to be with the Muslims than <laughs> anywhere else. So, a lot of that is is very elusive, illusory. You know, it's just it's not really mm -hmm. true. It's it's a trick of the enemy and of our, of our yeah. mind to say, yeah. "Oh, shouldn't do or say do or say anything there." Yeah, right? it can freeze us up from doing anything or yeah. saying anything. Yeah. Love, the, the love and the truth set us free. This yeah. is the spirit. The love and the truth set us free. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when, uh, when we talk about uh, Muslims in Canada, uh, yeah, what kind of uh, numbers are we looking at? So sometimes it's hard to track numbers. Um, sometimes it is a little bit of some uh, sleuthing, <laughs> especially because the government of Canada changed how they do the census a few years ago. They don't track religious identities. So we have to do uh, a little bit of sleuthing through language groups, uh, none of which are always uh, a solid majority uh, of one religious identity or another. And so some of that numbers float around all the time, excuse <coughs> me, is that number uh, under a million? Is it over a million? Is it one and a half million? Uh, one of the things I would say is that um, having done lots of demographic research for Muslims in Canada, uh, one of the things you begin to realize is that demographics, large scale demographics don't change really fast. And so, uh, and, and so sometimes what people do is they, they will take a number, this many, you know, this is the percentage of Muslims today. And if we multiply this out, and if we if we take a a a, a multiplying birth rate, you know, all of these, and they'll come out with some really explosive and inflammatory numbers, you know, predictions. Yeah. Yeah. But they're they're false because we're talking about 1.0, 2 3.0, the uh, generations. Even as Muslims move here, they fall in line with our birth rates. Well, they don't maintain mm -hmm. those birth rates that they have from their 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 home countries and stuff like that. So it's it's not that you know it's an illusion that Muslims are going to take over Canada. No, they're not yeah, going to take over yeah. Canada, right? Yeah. You, these are these again are fears that the enemy is using and mm -hmm. uh, you know lies and half truths, right? What what's our response? Well, truth and love, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And we, we don't have to be afraid of this. What we, what we really need to do is reach out and love them and engage them, right? Because right. that right. is actually what they need. The more we love and engage Muslims, the more, you know, if you want to use the term de-radicalized, actually mm-hmm. that is what leads to de-radicalization. Love is the great uh, de-radicalizer. The love of God. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It, it gives us a new a new radicalism. I'm radically in love with Jesus, not with some <laughs> other violent, uh, you know, uh, identity. Yeah. Um, got one more one more question for you today, and uh, that's around uh, just uh, the the whole idea that. Uh, the, the global church is a macro version of the body of Christ, just mm-hmm. as the local church is a micro version of the body of Christ, or even if two or three of us gather together, you know, so, but when we think about the, uh, what is it uh, that uh, when Christians from other nations come to Canada, what what are some of the spiritual gifts you think that uh, uh, we can receive from uh, the from Christians that that come here from all other parts of the world? Because I think um, historically we were probably uh, you know kind of a, a bit presumptive to think that uh, you know Christianity revolved around um, you know Western civilization and the uh, English language. You know, especially mm-hmm. the King James version, right? right? <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but in our presumption of a you know Westocentric um, faith, uh, people from other parts of the world uh, coming here that that walk with Jesus, uh, there, there's something of a gift there that we need to receive. Do you want to talk a bit about what you see coming? Yeah through Christians from other parts of the world that that we in, in Canada and the US um, and really need to really need to uh, receive the gifts that are coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in one sense, we, we use the term spiritual gifts. We're, well, you know, on one hand, yeah, there's one spirit, one baptism, one salvation, one Lord and God of all, right? Mm-hmm. There's one you know, uh, there's one source for all these spiritual gifts. But I like how it says in Ephesians 4, uh, 11 and 12, and then from there, God gives gifts to the church. And then he, then he talks about what we often talk about, the fivefold, you know, uh, apostles and prophets, as well as then evangelists, teachers and pastors, right? People are gifts. They are mm-hmm. gifts in mm-hmm. and of themselves. And that's the sense of spiritual gift that newcomers to Canada, immigrants to Canada, especially Pentecostals, who you know, the believers who come and they're, they're looking. This is, a, this is a wonderful aspect post-pandemic that we're seeing right now. It's like there's two years uh, or roughly of pent-up demand, right? People have right. not been able to go to church. You know, people are coming into Canada. You know, they're looking for something. And and I have churches that are calling me, and uh, in fact, I, I got one referred to me yesterday. We're having a conversation next week, and not all of these are even in urban centers. Some of them are in unusual places where they are encountering all of a sudden. They, you know, one of them said to me, "Before the pandemic, we were white, 
and after the pandemic, suddenly we are wow, we are multicultural. What do we do? <laughs> you know, and, and so great problems to have. You know, and others are 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 kind of waking up and saying we need to be intentional in this way. David Wells will often talk about the dynamic that we've been undergoing, and I saw this when we were at Kennedy Road Tabernacle in Brampton, KRT, uh, in the almost ten years that we were there, because it was the same thing. We showed up, and they were majority white, right? And uh, today it is minority, absolute minority uh, white at uh, KRT. Wonderful diversity. It was 63 birth nations when I left. Again, imagine what it is now, right? Uh, uh, and I was back there speaking uh, some months ago. It was, it was wonderful to, to be there and see that. We have become unintentionally multicultural. Unintentionally because it wasn't our intention. KRT just underwent the transformation that Brampton was undergoing, right? Mm -hmm. The goal, however, that David Wells has often referred to as well, is we need to be intentionally intercultural. And because multicultural is descriptive, it's a description of what I see, what is, mm -hmm. and it's unintentional. Intentional intercultural is something entirely which is I'm gonna I'm gonna make my way with intentional steps toward not just staying within my con cultural comfort zone, which even has to do with how I conduct, if I'm a leader in church, how I conduct my 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 ministry. I'm going to intentionally be intercultural. I want to involve their cultural expressions into everything that we are doing. This is very rare in churches, but we're beginning to see more and more of it. And when churches do this, Kevin, churches really see some ordinary things begin to happen. And it's really the next step of where the Spirit is leading us. We went through the worship wars, which had to do with you know generational change in expression of worship. Now we're going to the next level, which is even more dynamic and it's wonderful, which is an intentionality of involving all the cultures of the world in our worship. Now that's music and not music, right? Because worship is much mm -hmm. more than just musicality, right? And and that. so some beautiful things that are happening here. Immigrants bring a freshness, a, a dynamism, you know, I, I've always loved the worship experiences when I've been in Africa, when I've been in the Middle East, when I have been in various countries in Southeast Asia. It doesn't matter. There is there's something dynamic of experiencing someone else's worship, someone else's culture, worshiping God. And it, and it, and it just enlarges my, my experience, right? Our experience of worshiping God as well. So they're bringing something that we need. They're bringing something into our church. If we will welcome it, encourage it, you know, that that is beautiful for them and beautiful for us too. And what it does is it's making us more into the image of heaven. Because mm -hmm. as we know, mm -hmm. Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9, especially uh, 7, 9, and 10 is talking about this is what it's going to be like in heaven. Every language Every tribe, every people group, everybody's going to be represented there. And guess what? No matter what you know, uh, uh, 
jokes we've told, you know, like my 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 father-in-law, everybody in heaven must speak German, you know, and you know <laughs> us here now saying everybody in heaven's going to speak English, you know, and uh, you know everybody inserts their own language there. No, we're going to be speaking every language in heaven to worship God because He's worthy of all of them. Yeah, I think there's there's something of about uh, when when you are a majority culture there's a certain security and confidence that comes with that when you are a minority culture there's a certain vulnerability and uh, um, careful navigating that's required to to find your way and and the the path of following jesus gives us both experiences love one another uh is is involves the fact that you need to love the other and sometimes you are the other that someone else has to love there's a uh, there's a real breaking down of all of our uh border distinctions uh and uh I love that I love that well Charles it's been helpful it's been insightful talking with you today and when it comes to what God can accomplish in Canada, the sky is the limit. Uh, thank you for helping us think about uh, their new the the newcomer, helping us think about uh, the high value of the body of Christ. And on the next episode, I've assembled a group of African pastors and others that minister in Canada, and we're going to explore the challenges and opportunities. Uh, that African pastors face in adapting to Canadian culture. I've been thinking about how the Canadian church can learn so much from uh, the African church and, and other churches of the world for that matter. So on our next episode, uh, we're, we're going to have a, a panel and uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, join us again on Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. And until then, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Thank you for listening.